Welcome back to the Weirdest yes. Thing Podcast. Hello, everyone. Hello. Um, I'm Scotty Milder. I'm Amelia Ampuero. I think we forgot to introduce ourselves last time. We 100% did. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's okay, because you told everyone the story about what, how we became friends and why we decided to do this. Oh, my so. God. <laughs> we, t- we 100% forgot. Guys, to, I promise uh, we'll get better at this as we go. You know what? I don't know if we will, to be completely honest. Yeah. So I'm just going to do it. Crack open. I'm just going to crack open a little uh, that cider. I was going to say, is that a wine or is that? No, it's, it's a cider. Nice. Uh, from uh, Santa Fe Brewing Company. If, oh, cool. If you're out there listening and looking for sponsorship opportunities, we'd love yeah. to have you. Santa Fe Brewing Company, everybody. <laughs> Write to them and tell us to sponsor the Weirdest Thing Podcast. <laughs> okay. Well, this They're is... like, what the fuck is the Weirdest <laughs> yeah. Thing Podcast? Who the fuck are these people? <laughs> yep. All right. Well, this is Infrastructure Week. Yeah, the weirdest thing podcast. We have a couple fun damn disaster stories for you. These damn disasters. Yeah, so I think I'm uh, I'm starting it out. You are. All right, so I'm going to tell you about the St. Francis Dam disaster in Ooh, California. Okay. So the St. Francis Dam. Uh, just a little bit of uh, what it was. It was a curved concrete gravity dam and it was built to create a large uh storage reservoir for the city of los angeles so it's, it was just north of los angeles it was in san francisco canyon of the sierra Polona mountains which Ooh. is about 40 miles northwest of downtown la approximately 10 miles north of santa clarita the little town of santa clarita it was designed and built between 1924 and 1926 by the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power, which was run by General Manager and Chief Engineer William Mulholland. So let me tell you about William Mulholland because he's kind of a dick. Um, and he's probably partly or largely responsible for this disaster. Okay. <laughs> he was born in Belfast, Ireland in 1855. Pretty uneducated from what I could tell. I really? Think it was like, uh, yeah, and that's gonna, I think, be important. It sounds like he grew up in a poor family, an abusive father. So when he was 15, he ran off and joined the British Merchant Navy. And I meant to write down what the British Merchant Navy was, but I didn't. So I don't know what it is. So Google it. We'll um, correct that in the next yeah. episode. <laughs> so with the British Merchant Navy, he was sailing around for about four years. And then when he was 19, he ended up in New York. And then once he was in New York, he moved to Michigan, and then to Ohio. He reconnected with his brother, Hugh Maholland. They stowed away on a ship, which was sailing from, I believe, New York to California. And so this is, by the way, before, I think, the Panama Canal. So yeah. this was like you had to go all the way around, like, the bottom of the South America. The tip of South America. Yeah. Damn. So they're So they're uh, on the ship. They get caught when the ship is uh, anchored in Panama uh, and they're forced off of the ship. So then they hiked through about 50 miles of jungle (laughs) until they were able to catch another boat in Panama City and then arrived in L.A. in 1877. Okay. So, and I don't know what happened to Hugh, the brother. I don't think he caused any massive damn disasters. So (laughs) 
He just went to go live a life. He just lived a life. Okay. Uh, exits the story here. But William ended up working. He started out working as a well digger and then as a prospector in both California and Arizona um, before he finally got a job with what was at the time called the Los Angeles City Water Company, which I think was like a private company that was like hired, contracted by the city to manage its water supply. Okay. And it later became the Los Angeles Water Bureau. So he was a self-taught engineer. That's not what I want to hear. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and I think it's going to be important. Self-taught engineer ended up overseeing the construction of pipelines uh, to bring water into Los Angeles. And I guess he was so good at it that they made him chief engineer of the Los Angeles Water Bureau in 1911. And then later he became this, I think three years later, I think 1914, he became the superintendent of the Water Bureau. Okay. So moved way up the ranks. Yeah. Um, now Mulholland, among others, along with others, sort of foresaw the LA, which at the time was sort of a, still a smallish kind of backwater city, was going to grow exponentially. And they're worried about a water crisis because anyone who knows anything about LA knows there's not a lot of fresh water in mm-hmm. LA. So he what, spearheaded uh, the creation of what became the Los Angeles Aqueduct, which still exists. I think it's been refurbished and added to. I may be wrong about this, okay. um, but I think it's like one of the largest civil engineering projects that has ever been attempted in this country. Oh, um, wow. I read somewhere they were com- comparing the engineering that had to go into it to the, like, the creation of the Panama Canal. But what's important and why Mulholland is kind of a dick, he used shady methods to obtain the water rights from a place called Owens Valley, way up in the Sierra Nevadas. This is like well over 200 miles away. So among the shady things he did is he lied to the people in Los Angeles saying that, oh, we just don't have any water here. And basically like radically underestimated the amount of water in the aquifer under L.A. So he built all this public support. He also went up to Owens Valley and was like, we're just going to use like a little bit of your water. Mm. Um, You guys get to keep most of it, but basically undercut them and took all of the water rights. He also, a lot of farmers, he conned them out of their money or or out of their land. Come Uh, on. And I mean, it wasn't just him. It was the whole like water bureau Um, and the whole city of Los Angeles. And then... Even though he had told everyone in L.A., like, oh, this water is for L.A., he actually meant it for the San Fernando Valley, which at the time was not part of L.A. It was north mm, of L.A. Okay. He wanted to use this water, which was all runoff from the Sierra Nevada Mountain, to essentially fill the aquifer under the San Fernando Valley because okay. they were trying to start irrigation and agriculture and stuff up there. So it was built between 1907 and 1913, required nearly 4,000 workers in the digging of, I think, 164, I think I read, tunnels. It's 233 miles long from Owens Valley into L.A. And this led to what was called the California Water Wars. Oh, Um, Because people realized that Mulholland and others had conned them. And this created a massive political dispute with the people in Owens Valley. Went all the way to Congress. But ultimately, the uh, the rights stayed with Los Angeles, mm. with the people of Los Angeles, which then led to uh, people rebelling, like a lot of the farmers up there rebelled. And this led to, th- to threats from both sides, violence, and then ultimately sabotage. Mm. So farmers started basically dynamiting part of the aqueduct. Um, oh, wow. If anyone has ever seen the movie Chinatown, <laughs> the character played by John Huston, who's kind of the big bad in Chinatown, is uh-huh. supposedly largely based on William Mulholland. 
and it's kind of deals with like a fictionalized version of these California water wars. Mm-hmm. So, but the aqueduct was made and then Mahalan started to innovate the way dams were designed. Again, self-taught engineer. Yeah, so, I was like, are there air quotes around the innovate? Yeah. Well, I mean, this is what whatever I read online said. He innovated, but I'm going to mm. put some big old air quotes around the word innovate. Right. He ended up becoming kind of a celebrity in L.A. because he was seen as this sort of genius engineer right. who had built the aqueduct and the city started to, you know, expand and expand. They named Mulholland Drive after him, so which yeah. goes along the top of the Hollywood Hills. This is named after him. Uh, they also have the Mulholland Dam uh, up in the Hollywood Hills, which I didn't know where it was until I looked it up for this. And I was like, that was like right where I used to live in L.A. It was basically oh. right above when I lived in Beachwood Canyon in L.A. It's kind of right above Beachwood Canyon. Did we go knew. by there when we were there? Yeah, I probably took you up by my old place. But the the okay. the reservoir is like kind of back in the hills from there. Okay. So you wouldn't see it. Right. He was even encouraged to run for mayor. And then he started consulting on other dam projects, including the Calaveras Dam, which is up near San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So the St. Francis Dam. Uh, it was constructed to be a vital part of the LA Aqueduct. It was meant to create a reservoir to collect much of this water that was bring, brought in from Owens Valley. And they initially had planned to construct this dam in Big Tajunga Canyon, which is kind of at the top of the San Fernando Valley. It's above a, a town called Sunland. Okay. So it's sort of like the northernest part of what you would still consider LA. Okay. But, you know, this was a more affluent community and the local farmers and ranchers were like, sure, you can build this thing here, but like you got to pay us like a ton of money for our land. Okay. And they wanted to do this thing on the cheap. So he said, go fuck yourself. <laughs> and they went up to San Francisco Canyon because they wanted to build it more cheaply. The thing was, they had already done a survey of this canyon and were like, mm-hmm. we're not sure this is geologically suitable. But then they were like, yeah, but we can build it cheap up here. So let's mm-hmm. just do it. Oh my, okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so they built this dam up in San Francisco Canyon. They started surveying for it in, in 1922. And they were trying to kind of go under the radar. They didn't want to let a lot of people know what they were doing because there were all these farmers and ranchers in Owens Valley who were still blowing up parts of the aqueduct. Um, so they didn't want anyone to know about this dam. They started constructing it, I believe, in 1925. And it was essentially almost identical in design to the Mulholland Dam, which is the one I was saying was mm-hmm. in L.A., near where i lived it was designed to hold thirty thousand acre and uh, it was designed to hold a thirty thousand acre foot reservoir okay so this is about 37 million meters cubed of water and then this actually got revised upward to thirty-eight thousand acre feet while it was being constructed Mm. um so they started 1925 it also had this like apparently unique kind of stair-stepped look to it and i was reading about why they did it that way and it was like a bunch of engineering shit that i wasn't interested in so we don't i don't have that okay (laughs) blah 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 blah, engineering which is i think how william maholland approached it It yeah blah 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 engineering (laughs) blah 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 whatever whatever steppy steppies yeah so they completed it in 1926 uh and it rose 100 the dam itself rose 185 feet above the canyon floor okay they started having problems with it right away. 
So it started filling with water in March of 1926. And at first everything seemed fine, but then it developed, started developing what were called temperature cracks all up and down the face of the dam. And it was, uh, and then it started seeping water both through these cracks and then along the abutments on both the west and east Oof. side of the dam. Like, so the edges of the dam, it was starting mm-hmm. to leak water around there. Um, and Mulholland would come up and look at it and be like, it's fine, it's fine. This is what it's supposed to do. Wow. Um, and then two big vertical cracks appeared and ran from the top nearly to the bottom. He looked at it, it was like, it's fine. Then by April, more seepage was detected along the fault line of the western abutment. Workers were ordered to seal the leak, and I don't even know how you would do that. You've got 40-some million cubic meters of water. Like, how are you going to seal that leak? Wow. Uh, But they were ordered to seal it. They were unsuccessful, unsurprisingly. Mm -hmm. So it just kept leaking all along its face. And it became known for the fact that it looked wet. Ew. Oh, um, okay. So, which, and, and, <laughs> I don't know why I got grossed out by yeah. that. Ew, a wet dam. <laughs> but Mulholland kids being like, it's fine. It's fine. It's what it's supposed to do. This is totally to be expected. Blah, 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 blah. The water wars are still going on. So farmers are still blowing up parts of the aqueduct. It ended up being St. Francis Dam ended up becoming the, really the only source of water in the region. Mm-hmm. At one point, the sheriff got a call that there was a carload of men coming down from Owens Valley. Okay. They were going to blow up the dam. So police like rushed to the dam and were like waiting with their guns and nobody showed up. <laughs> um, so anti-climax. At this time, the reservoir was nearly full. It had threatened to overtop several times. And then another big crack appeared. Uh, Mulholland inspected it, ordered it filled with grout because it was seeping as well. More and more cracks kept appearing. Okay, pause. Because uh-huh. my dog is being dumb. Okay. Edit this part out. Saying they're pawing at the door, so uh, I couldn't hear her um, at all. Yeah, it was driving me crazy. <laughs> okay, all right, I think I get it. Okay, yeah. So another crack appeared. Uh, he inspected it, ordered it to be filled with grout to stop the seepage, mm-hmm. and then just more and more cracks kept coming as the reservoir rose and fell, and more or less pressure on it. Ugh. And then in February of 1928, a significant leak formed near the left wing dike, and I don't know what a dike is, but approximately 150 feet west of the main dam. It was discharging about 4.5 gallons per second. Uh, Mulholland came out and looked at it, said it was another uh, temperature crack, and he said, just leave it open, let it drain. The size of the leak doubled over the following month. At this time, they also started detecting erosion along the sides of the dam. Because remember, this area was said to be geologically unsuitable. Because it was like softer earth. Mm -hmm. Um. So Mulholland ordered a drain pipe to be installed. And then finally, on March 12th, another leak occurred. This one was discharging about 22 gallons per second. This caused alarm, but Mulholland came and looked at it and said, yeah, we, we, we should fix that, but it can wait. Seriously? Yeah. So 12.02 a.m. that night, March 13th, the dam failed. Catastrophically. Uh, so there were no surviving witnesses <laughs> of the dam itself. But there was a local carpenter who worked at one of the local power stations was, I think he was driving his motorcycle along the top of the dam. Didn't see anything that looked weird. And then when he was upstream about a mile and a half, he heard a rumble um, over the roar of his motorcycle. So he pulled over and was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Um, And he, he said he thought it was either like an earthquake or maybe a rock slide somewhere. 
Okay. So he just continued on his way. Well, meanwhile, the dam collapsed. The entire reservoir emptied within 70 minutes into this canyon. The only thing left standing was the center section, you know, kind of the middle part mm-hmm. of the dam was left standing. Everything else either collapsed over or washed downstream. Ugh. Turned into massive concrete boulders just oh going down the canyon. So 12.4 billion gallons of water flooded out of the dam into the canyon. So the first to die, <laughs> the first okay. of many to die, was the dam keeper and his family. They were hanging out in their little cottage, which is about 400 meters downstream of the dam, when they got hit by a 140-foot wave. Then another couple minutes later, about a mile and a half downstream, it destroyed power station number two or powerhouse number two. Okay. Um, so I guess they were like using the dam for like hydroelectric right. power as well. Right. It killed 64 workers and their families who were bunked in and around the power station. Ended up cutting off power to most of LA and San Fernando Valley. And from what I was reading, it would like be like, it would take out a power station. The power would go out. People would be like, do something and get the power up and then it would destroy another power plant and so it's just the power kept going off and on all throughout the region so now it was a a, a 120 foot wave it's moving about 18 miles an hour okay uh and it flooded into the santa clara riverbed and that's when it started just causing mass destruction so it destroyed uh, a town called castaic junction just completely washed it away and then destroyed parts of valencia and newhall about an hour later, 1 a.m., the wave was now 55 feet high, destroyed another power station, cut off the power to everything in the Santa Clara Valley. It also destroyed, that's when it destroyed Castaic Junction. A telephone operator finally got word that the dam had failed. Mm-hmm. This is like an hour and a half later. And called, Jesus. and it sounds like called one cop who then started calling people being like, get out of your house, get out of your house. Another yeah. sheriff's deputy was driving up the canyon, essentially toward the flood with a siren blaring, trying to get people out of their house. Oh, God. So it continued on, destroyed the towns of Fillmore, Bardsdale, and Santa Paula. And then finally at 5.30 a.m., just emptied into the Pacific Ocean and carried a lot of bodies. Like debris and victims just went out to sea. Um, at the time that it went into the Pacific, it was about two miles wide. So I read, I've read multiple estimates of the death toll mm-hmm. everywhere from like 380 up to 600 people. So I don't think mm-hmm. they know for sure, but most of the places I read were saying it was 400 to kind of 450 people. Died. Okay. Um, so this led to massive investigations uh-huh. I saw one place that said a dozen investigations. I saw somewhere else that said two dozen investigations. The most uh, significant was put together by the governor of California at the time. But all of these commission reports who were investigating it basically said the same thing, which is that it was that leak that appeared that day was like signaling the end of uh. the dam. So here's, here's from the report from the governor's pos- commission. It says, the West End was founded upon a reddish conglomerate, which even when dry was of decidedly inferior strength, in which when wet became so soft that most of it lost almost all rock characteristics. So this undermined, they're saying, the west side of the dam. The rush of water released by the failure of this west end caused a heavy scour against the easterly canyon wall and caused the failure of that part of the structure. So basically the west end started to fail, which somehow, again, engineering, science, blah, 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 
mm-hmm. actually caused the East End to fail first. Okay. Um, and then there quickly followed the collapse of large sections of the dam. They also blamed the foundation beneath the dam. So basically they were like, the dam was built fine. You just built it in a shitty place. Like it's oh. just a place that should never have had a dam. The still standing center section became a tourist attraction that was known as the tombstone, but then they dynamited and bulldozed it in 1929. Oh, wow. Cause I think it was like considered a safety hazard. Right. I, um, yeah. <laughs> a little late, maybe like a day late. They were like, short. Hold- Hold on, hold on, hold on, guys. Safety of the people. Yeah, safety at the first forefront. People. So let's right. let's get rid of this rubble. Yeah. Now I have hiked down to the ruins of the dam, mm-hmm. and it is creepy as shit. So you walk down this road that's like not being used, and you just go into this canyon. And then when you get to the actual rubble, it's just, I mean it just looks like rubble. It doesn't look. Like, I'll, I'll post the picture of me heroically standing on. Okay. The yeah, your triumph at the St. Francis by, Dam. My triumphant uh, conquering yeah. of the St. Francis Dam. <laughs> but it was creepy because it's this narrow canyon. And when you're standing on the rubble and you look up, I mean, you can tell. It's like 200 feet high. And then you see, like, the the rebar is still mounted in the canyon oh. wall that's all bent. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. It is creepy as shit. I just um, want everybody to know that as Scotty is talking about how creepy it is, he's smiling. <laughs> Of course. (laughs) So they kept finding victims up into the mid-1990s. They kept finding bodies. Wow. So Mulholland didn't really try to defend himself. Okay. In these commissions. Like, he did sort of say, well, you know, leaks and dams of this type are common. So that's why he had seen nothing alarming when he inspected it the day before. But here are a couple quotes. He says, this inquest is a very painful thing for me to have to attend. But it is the occasion of it that is painful. The only ones I envy about this thing are the ones who are dead. And then his next. Yeah. He's basically like, this is worse for me than the dead people. Um, Because he's a dick. Because Um, he's a dick. And then his next, and I'll give him a little bit of credit. His next quote, he does kind of take responsibility. He says, whether it is good or bad, don't blame anyone else. You can just fasten it on me. If there was an error in human judgment, I was the human. I won't mm-hmm. try to fascinate it on any, or fasten it on anyone else. Okay. So he did kind of, sort of, take responsibility for it. Yeah. Um, but he was cleared of c- criminal culpability. But all these reports did say it was your error in judgment that forced this to happen. So he was pushed into retirement in December of that year. He essentially was haunted by this for the rest of his life. He went into semi-isolation and then died at the age of 79 just a few years later in 1935. And that is the story of the St. Francis Dam disaster. Oh my gosh. And just a little sidebar, if you guys want to listen to one of my favorite songs of all time, it's actually how I discovered this story, Frank Black and the Catholics. Uh, so people know Frank Black from as being the lead singer of the Pixies, but mm-hmm. his other man, Frank Black and the Catholics, uh, released a song called The St. Francis Dam Disaster. And it is one of the best songs ever. So Is there, is there a, because I know there are murder ballads, which should be their like their own episode at some point, mm-hmm. um, or at least a story, a section of an episode at some point. But is there uh, is there a name for because there's also the um, what is it the Edmund Fitzgerald song? Yeah, the wreck of the Edmund, Edmund Fitzgerald. Yeah, right. Uh, Gordon Lightfoot, right? Yeah. Um, is there? I wonder if there's a name for songs that yeah, are like. Yeah, I don't know. This is about this like weird disaster thing. 
Yeah, because I, I mean, they're sort of related to murder ballads, but they're not really murder ballads. Yeah. And this no. Frank, Frank Black song, it's definitely like very folky. Like it's a kind of folky sort of neo-country kind of song. Interesting. Yeah. Well done. Thank you. So that is that the There's a lot of dance. interesting facts in there. Yay. Yeah. yeah. And so moral of the story is William Holland's a dick. When they heard the great apocalypse, the powerhouse number two. Well, there was nothing they could do Because that water sinks her own Five and one half hours she would flow She had 53 miles to go And he's a dick. So let's maybe, I don't know, consider renaming the street and the dam. That would be my vote. Okay. Okay. Your turn. So, like you said, uh, it's infrastructure week. So I am doing the South Fork Dam disaster, which caused the Johnstown flood. I first heard about this story in a book called The Woman in the Photograph by Mary Hogan, which is a fun little sort of like historical fiction book that people can check out if they'd like to. So... The South Fork Dam was an earthen embankment dam located at the South Fork of the Conemaw River, 14 miles upstream of Johnstown, Pennsylvania. I'm going to keep wanting to call it Jonestown. It's Johnstown. Johnstown. (laughs) That's a whole other episode. (laughs) That's a whole, that's a whole series of episodes. So an earthen dam means that it was a dam that was comprised of more than 50% earthen material. So... I don't know. Already, that to me seems like a bad idea, but I'm not an engineer. Engineering, Um, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Engineering, blah, blah, blah. So it was built from the period between 1838 and 1853. And the reservoir, the water that got like reserved essentially formed Lake Conema. I think I'm saying that correctly. It was originally called something else. It became called Lake Conema when the property and the land were purchased by the South Fork Fishing and Hunting Club, uh, who's a bunch of real assholes, and we're going to get to them in a sec. All right. Yeah, so um, the area had originally been used as part of a series of cross-state canal systems. So they were using the canal systems to transport goods, and then once the Pennsylvania Railroad came in, they were like, oh, we don't really need this anymore. Oh, Um, whoops. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so it was part of the it was uh, owned by the main line of public works when the commonwealth abandoned the canal system the pennsylvania railroad bought the area and then later sold it to private interests it ended up in the hands of the south fork fishing and hunting club like i just said the dam sat above the steel town of johnstown pennsylvania and it was the dam was 72 feet tall and 931 feet long between 1881 when the club opened in 1889 when the dam again catastrophically failed Uh the dam often sprung leaks and the leaks were patched with mud and sticks yeah because because that makes sense yeah there originally were three huge cast iron discharge pipes installed in to do a like controlled release Mm -hmm. of the water they got removed by an owner (laughs) Uh seems like a bad idea yep and the uh discharge pipes were sold for scrap Uh, of course they were yep so people all around the area because it wasn't just johnstown it was also like everybody in the area it was like 
hey, like we really don't feel good about this fucking like straw and mud dam that you have there. Yeah. Um, the reservoir normally held 14.135 numbers vary, but just over 14 million tons of water. Wow. So like I said, all of the townspeople were like, hey, 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 we like we really, 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 really don't like this. Like maybe don't patch the fucking thing with straw. Like Yeah. The- Literally straw and mud. They would just like yeah. go in there and like like yeah. patch it up and be like, ah, well done, everybody. <laughs> um, the club, the fishing hunting club was not concerned at all. Yeah. Uh, so a little bit about the South Fork Fishing and Hunting Club. It was actually a corporation. This is going to come into play later. So put a little pin in that. But okay. it was actually a corporation that ran secretive and exclusive retreat for over 50 wealthy men in the area. Uh-huh. In 1880, the club buys the dam slash reservoir from Benjamin Franklin Ruff. Ruff sold it to the club with this thing of like, we could build this really cool retreat here. It would be super cool. We could get away from all the poor people. Won't that be fun? Yeah, he va- he basically envisioned it as this sort of like playground where Pittsburgh's elite could escape like the noise and dirt and heat of the city in the summer. Right. So Ruff floated this idea to Henry Clay Frick, who was a real son of a bitch. This mother effer was an industrialist, a financier, a union buster. Um, of course mm-hmm. he was. Yeah. And I guess I have to add this, whatever, whatever. He was also a patron of the arts. Um, yeah, I mean, they all were. Like, this is the, <laughs> the robber baron era. And they're all like, 100%. Here, let me found Carnegie what? University. While 100%. Yeah, they're all like, I know that we're basically just like, we're starting essentially global warming and, you know, a, a, a history of treating workers badly. But... We have several Monets, so. And, like, check out this museum that I built. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> Frick is like, I love this idea. I love something that's exclusive and, and secretive mm-hmm. and not for poor people. Let's let's rock and roll. So, Ruff, originally, who I mentioned before, is the guy who, who owned the land when he was like, let me sell it to the club. Ruff bought the land from Congressman John Riley. Congressman mm-hmm. John Riley was the a-hole who removed the discharge to pipes okay yeah so there's that the club consisted of a three-story clubhouse that had 47 guest rooms and a dining room that could seat up to 150 people and then there were also 16 private cottages heavy 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 air quotes around cottages because i've seen these (laughs) i've seen pictures of these cottages and they're enormous they're 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 like modest mansions. And it's the same thing as, you know, I went to Jekyll Island, uh, which is off the coast of Georgia a few years ago. And it was the same thing. Like, again, they were like, where could we go where we could be rich, but alone? Like, I don't want to be around other other people. I only want to be around other rich people. I know, let's go here, build a giant ass clubhouse, but also I want a big, a big nasty cottage uh, so that I, I can seclude myself from rich people who aren't as rich as me. <laughs> yeah. So prominent members included Frick, Andrew Carnegie, Andrew Mellon, Philander Knox, lots of like politicians, industrialists, bankers, lawyers, uh, mm. which will come into play. The club had a. It's just so, it's like exactly what you think it'd be. They had a boat fleet. They held annual regattas. <laughs> they would also put on like theatrical and musical performances. Let me be very clear here that it was not like, 
you know, this was not like a summer camp where they were getting up and doing this stuff. They were obviously bringing bringing in people in, bringing in people to do this. And then basically the other stuff that there that was there to do was fish and have picnics. (laughs) Like, I mean, that's it. The dam had regular like maintenance, but again, heavy, 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 heavy air quotes around maintenance Yeah, um, that was performed by the club. And it was mostly the patching with mud and straw that I talked about before. <laughs> um, they also did things like they installed fish screens so they could keep the expensive game fish in the reservoir. Mm. Cool thing about that though, was that it also captured a shit ton of debris that <laughs> didn't let the spillway drain the overflow. Also, they lowered the height of the dam by four feet so that two carriages could pass on top of the dam together. Because the only way to get to the South Forks Fishing and Hunting Club was to cross the dam. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they were like, we would really love if we could get two little carriages, two smart carriages right on the dam at the same time. So let's... Ding, uh, bring that down a little bit. This meant that the top of the dam was only four feet from the water line of the reservoir. That's crazy. Yeah. Daniel Johnson Morell, he was a U.S. representative from Pennsylvania, was like, um, yo, this looks awful. Can I join your club? And they were like, yeah, come on in. And he basically joined for the sole reason of keeping an eye on the effing dam. Oh, okay. He like he observed the state of the dam. He campaigned the club regularly regarding the safety of the dam. He insisted on inspections. Motherfucker even offered to pay for the repairs. And the club was like, nah. <sighs> yeah. They were yeah. just like, no, nah, we don't really want to. So um, he's less of a dick, let's say. Yeah. Than the others. Yeah. Significantly uh, less. And I think this actually makes him like not a dick at all. Uh, Morel died four years before the disaster that he tried to prevent. Okay. So yeah, we'll take him out of the. We'll take him. We'll take him off the shit list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the flood that spring saw the heaviest rainfall on record for that area of the country. Oh wow. In a span of 24 hours, they got between six to 10 inches of rainfall. Reports of people who crossed the dam said that the dam was spongy. Uh, yeah, like it was so saturated with water that it was like boing, boing, boing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The morning of May 31st, uh, 1889, the lake was swollen and ready to breach the dam. There was a group of men who saw it and were like, uh, huh. this doesn't look great. So they ran out there and tried, they tried to fix it. They tried to fix it uh, by clearing the spillway, but that fish screen that I told you about had broken and was trapped there. Oh no. They tried to dig basically like a runoff ditch on the opposite side so that they could kind of do some controlled release of water. They were like hauling in mocks and or mocks, rocks and mud to like build up the height of the dam. None of it was working. Yeah. So twice through this time period, a man named John Park, he was the engineer for the club, was sent into the town of South Fork to send telegrams to Johnstown to warn them that like the dam was going to breach. He went on horseback and he rode into South Fork, but didn't actually go to the telegram tower. He just caught somebody and was like, 
send word to Johnstown that the dam is going to breach. And the guy was yeah. like, cool, 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 cool. And then like went about his day. Yeah. Yeah. So word never got to Johnstown. So meanwhile, in Johnstown, the rain, the torrential rain has meant that there is now like 10 feet of water standing in the streets. Oh, so it's already flooded. It's already flooded. Yeah. And people are like, you know, going up into the second stories of their homes and they're like, well, this certainly looks bad. At so one, th- yeah. I was going to say, I'm guessing that made getting out of there really hard. Yeah. If they even, even if they were trying to flee. Yeah. yeah. They were, it, ugh. So at 1.30, the group of men who'd been trying to work on the dam, they, they were just like, we have to call it. And they yeah. just retreated to higher ground to like wait and watch. Ugh. Yeah. Between 2.50 and 2.55 p.m., the dam is breached and 3.8 billion gallons of water are unleashed. Ugh. The first town to be hit is the town of South Fork, but they they actually saw the dam breach and were like, what? And so they scrambled uphill and moved to higher ground. Okay. Mm-hmm. Four people die in South Fork. Uh, The flood continues moving on, picking up debris, which is trees, houses, and animals. Ugh. Uh Uh-huh. The next town that it hits is Conma. Well, the next thing that it hits, sorry, is Conma Viaduct, which is a 78-foot-tall railroad bridge, and that stops the flood for a second. About seven minutes after the flood hits the viaduct, the viaduct collapses and the flood continues with what was called a renewed hydraulic head. Basically meaning that it was like building up pressure. So what, when the viaduct collapsed, what went forward was like a bigger, angrier wave. Okay. The next town that it hits is a town called Mineral Point. It's the first actually populated town to be hit. The flood took out all of the structures, the topsoil, and the subsoil. Oh, wow. When they went to find it, it had been stripped to the bedrock. That's insane. Yeah. The rate of the flood when it hit Mineral Point was 420,000 cubic feet per second, which is roughly the flow rate of the Mississippi River at its delta. Oh, shit. Yeah. 16 deaths happen in Mineral Point. Okay. East Conemaw is next. Witnesses say that you couldn't see the water for the debris. So what it looked like was just a giant hill rolling over and over itself. Oh, shit. That yeah. is... Ugh, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, this is, it's fucked. So while this is going on, a train engineer who's sitting in an idle locomotive hears and feels the rumble of the flood. So he's like, oh, shit throws his effing locomotive into reverse and tears into East Conma, blaring the train whistle. Yeah. So he actually alerts a whole bunch of people in East Conma that the flood is coming. They make it up to higher ground. He saves a bunch of people, 50, I think 50 people still died in the flood. The mm-hmm. flood picked up his locomotive and floated it off to the side. He survived. Oh, look good. Yeah. The flood hits the Cambria Ironworks in Woodvale. This adds railroads and barbed wire to the mass. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. 314 deaths occur there. Oh, man. Next, the wave hits, I don't know if it's Gautier or Gautier uh, Wireworks. The boilers explode and miles of barbed wire are added to the debris. 
And now we get to Johnstown. 57 minutes after the breach, the flood hits Johnstown. A wall of water and debris going 40 miles per hour and standing 60 feet tall slams into the town. Folks try to run to higher ground, but they were caught completely by surprise because the fucking telegraphs never made it there. Yeah. Telegrams. Like, they, 57 minutes after it was, after the dam was breached, it reached flood town. A lot of people could have been saved. Yeah. Yeah. So stuff is going to get a little dark here in the next couple of factoids, uh, just as a warning for people. So if they don't like this stuff, they can skip ahead. And here we go. Folks get crushed by this like tidal wave of debris. They get caught in the barbed wire and drowned. Some people did manage to climb up into their attics or roofs or to latch onto floating bits of debris. Those people waited hours for help. Yeah. Okay, so the flood hits Stone Bridge, which carried the Pennsylvania Railroad across the Conemaw River because of the... Okay, let me also say that this, I think this bridge is like 78 feet tall and it's a little arched bridge, right? Okay. The flood slams into the stone bridge and then because it hits a stone bridge and stops, it rolls back onto Johnstown. Oh, shit. So they get hit again, again by the flood, but from a different direction. This also, this is, this, is, this, is real, this is real dark and sad. As the debris piles up at the stone bridge, it catches on fire. People who got swept downstream, they get caught in the inferno and they die there. 80 deaths happen at the bridge and the fire burns for three days. As the water recedes, it leaves a pile of debris 75 feet tall that covers 30 acres. And now we get to the aftermath. It took three months to clear the debris because it was a ma- because of the massive, massive amount of barbed wire that was wrapped oh, yeah. up in it. Uh-huh. It finally had to be blown up to be cleared. Oh, wow. Yeah. Stone Bridge actually survived and still stands today. Over 2,200 people were killed in this flood, including 99 entire families that were wiped out. Oh, damn. Like tip to tail, all of them. Just everyone's gone. Everyone's gone. 124 women and 198 men were left widowed. 98 kids were left orphaned. 700, over 750 bodies were never identified. They're now buried in the plot of the unknown in the uh, Grandview Cemetery. Mm. Bodies were found as far away as Cincinnati. Oh, damn. Yeah, which is, uh, it's over, I mean, depending on which way you go, it's over 350 miles away. uh, And as late as 1911, Uh, 1,600 homes were destroyed. $17 million in property damage was done. Today, that's over $480 million. $3.7 million was raised by the U.S. and 18 other countries for the Jonestown relief effort. It held the record for the most civilian deaths for 465 days until a hurricane hit Galveston in September 1890 and killed between six and 12,000 people. Yeah, that we should do the Galveston on that. That's yeah, point. the Galveston hurricane is, is, uh, yeah, it is that's so, a grisly story. it is so messed up. So the original death toll was 22, I'm sorry, 2,000. I mean, I can't do numbers. 2,209, <laughs> but one man, this actually, like the story came out, uh, what's his name? McCullough, the author? What's his oh, name? Oh, yeah, David, David McCullough? Yeah, he wrote a book on the Johnstown flood. 
and he talks about this in this. So, okay, 2,209 people originally said uh, to have perished in the Johnstown flood uh, or the South Fork Dam disaster, but there was one man who was reported dead, but his body was never found. And apparently he like rode the wave of debris when the water finally stopped, like extracted himself from the debris and walked out of the valley. Like he was like, (laughs) fuck this, I'm out. And went (laughs) went to go live in Massachusetts. Like he legit was like, cool. This has been awful. I'm out of here. Um, he returned to Johnstown in 1900 and was like, surprise. (laughs) Hey guys. Yeah. And everybody was like, yeah, like erasing all the memorials. Um, (laughs) Johnstown, their first relief call was for coffins and undertakers at peak. There was, uh, over 7,000 relief workers in the area. Clara Barton, who was a nurse and also the founder and president of the American Red Cross arrived on June 5th. The flood was the Red Cross's first like major disaster relief. Um, yeah. And, uh, she stayed for five months. Like she set up shop there to take care of everybody. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like people needed it. Yeah. Little sidebar to this. Clara Barton is, is kind of a badass lady. Uh, She started, she started the Red Cross, but she was also doing humanitarian work and civil rights advocacy before women even had the right to vote. She was close friends with Frederick Douglass. He like advised her as she was organizing and creating the American Red Cross. And he is actually a signer on the, American Red Cross's Articles of Incorporation. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So she was, she was, she was pretty badass. On, uh, let me see here. Uh huh. On June 5th, 1889, the American Society of Civil Engineers created a committee to find out what caused the failure. A report was written, but it wouldn't be released until two years later. And it was real like, well, you release it. Well, I don't want to release it. Well, I'm not going to re- well, we'll release it later. Well, I don't know. Maybe like it'll do, maybe like the next convention we'll release it. I mean, maybe they'll forget. Yeah. yeah. The report, no surprise, found that the dam would have failed regardless, even with the original design specs. This claim has now been challenged by the current members of the American Society of Civil Engineers. Okay. In, mm-hmm. So in 2016, a hydraulic analysis confirmed that the changes made in the dam did make the dam fail by severely reducing the ability of the dam to withstand major storms. Uh, So this is like dropping the height, getting rid of the drain pipes. Drain pipes. Yeah. All of that stuff that they were like, no, no, you guys did it. 100% your fault. Yeah. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I mean, like might have failed, but not like catastrophic failure, which sidebar, this story is also the thing that made me learn that there was such a thing as a catastrophic failure. Like when I heard it, I was like, oh, that must mean like a bad thing. I didn't understand that a catastrophic failure was like an actual designation. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's an actual categorical designation, meaning a complete and utter failure from which there is no, like you can't, yeah, there is no recovery. That is an excellent rabbit hole to fall down. (laughs) Uh, The list of catastrophic uh, failures. So this study was like, yeah, no man, like totes, 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 totes your fault. Obviously many people blamed the South Fork Fishing and Hunting Club for the flood, but the club never held legal responsibility. 
remember all those, remember I told you uh, there was a bunch lawyers. of lawyers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they represented the club in the four lawsuits that happened. And they basically argued that the flood was an act of God. Yeah. We couldn't have done anything. Yeah. Right. Nothing to be done. Sorry, guys. Total act of God. Yeah. I mean, we sent a guy to send a telegram. I'm sorry, guys. We frequently patched that with sticks and mud. Um, so, I mean, if we had only used sticks, I could see it. I don't know what else. Mud you, too. I mean, you want us to use something else? <laughs> uh, yeah. So they were like, no harm, no foul. No legal compensation was ever paid to the survivors. Of course not. Though I guess I have to say that several of the club members personally contributed to the relief efforts. Carnegie himself even uh, contributed funds to build a new library. Whatever. Uh. Let's say your um, entire town is gone. Everybody- yeah, here's some books. <laughs> I've been sure to put all of my favorites in there. Yeah. So survivors totally got fucked by all of this because the sheer resources that the lawyers had. Yeah. Additionally, remember how I told you that the club was a corporation? Mm-hmm. The club had been set up in such a way that it meant that the owners kept their own financial assets separate from the club. Yeah, yeah. kind of like an LLC. Like. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Uh, and, oh, and also no suit could prove that any one owner was responsible for the dam failure. The flood came to symbolize outrage at the great trusts and giant corporations of post-Civil War America. Political cartoons about mm-hmm. the flood show a bunch of, like, hoity-toity robber barons fishing and sipping champagne on top of the dam as the dam, like, as, like, it bursts onto the town below. Yeah. And they all look like the fucking Monopoly dude. Yeah. You know what I mean? We should post Uh, uh, some of those cartoons. I will. We will. Um, This actually, though, influenced change in American law, and it led to the adoption of precedent that non-negligent defendants can be held liable for damage caused by unnatural use of land. Mm -hmm. So I actually think for better or for worse. This is actually the thing that also means that if somebody slips on your sidewalk, on the ice on your sidewalk, they can hold you liable. Oh, okay. I think. Yeah. If we have it any law sense. folks that are listening, let us know if I'm completely off base on that. Because the club was on the banks of the reservoir, it sustained no damage, like mm-hmm. none at all. Of there were only, not. yeah, of course not. There were only about a half dozen guests at the club at the time that the dam was breached survivors did go up there and like they fucked some shit up like they broke windows (laughs) and like yeah like you know destroyed some things but like that's all they could do at point at sorry at point park in johnstown an eternal flame burns in memory in memory of the flood victims and on march 20th 1997 frank shomo the last remaining flood survivor died at the age of 108 and that is the utterly preventable story of the johnstown flood and the south fork dam disaster i mean i mean both both of these stories, it's amazing how utterly preventable they were. I mean, it's like utterly preventable. I also look, I just saw now that there's no light and I look like a ghost uh, <laughs> in here. I just look like an apparition in the shadows. Um, yeah, it was It was like one, 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 one hundred percent preventable. And they just didn't want to because they wanted, because they, uh, they just didn't want to be bothered with it, honestly, is what it sounds like. Yeah. Well, and it's like we need 
two lanes on our bridge and yeah 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 basically just giving no fucks about anybody uh the book that i mentioned at the beginning like i said is sort of a it takes place in two different time periods so it takes place in modern day and then the other uh sort of portion of it takes place in the days leading up to the flood. And that is fun because it shows, it gives a real clear insight to what life, or an illustration, I guess, because it wouldn't be an insight, but an illustration as to what life at the club was like and what everybody there was like. Um, Mm. You know, this is very much the the type of place where you needed to know what kind of fork to use. You needed to dress right. You needed to marry right. You needed to do all those things. So it's, uh, yeah, it provides some interesting an interesting look at what was going on in that time. And what was the name of the book again? The name of the book is The Woman in the Photograph by okay. Mary Hogan. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine anything more terrible or terrifying than looking up and seeing a hill of debris coming towards you rolling over on it. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I think, you know, I mentioned that it picked up animals and stuff too. Like, I think that was also like, it was just this, I mean, just a ball of hell, right? Like rolling towards you. And you're just like the, the pictures, the pictures from the aftermath of the flood are insane there's one you might have seen it it's a house that's like completely on its side and it's been skewered by a giant tree oh i've totally seen that picture yep that's from the johnstown flood okay i mean there's other pictures where you're like i don't i don't understand like i don't i don't understand yeah because you're like that looks like something that was a town but i don't like i don't get it yeah yeah i mean that's it's amazing like sometimes when you look at pictures of like any of these massive disasters mm-hmm. like if you ever see pictures of i guess it was anchorage uh, after the big earthquake i don't remember what year that was mm-hmm. um, but it's just it like leveled the city yeah it's nuts and actually you know i was talking about the the galveston flood people were actually using pictures from johnstown to be like look at what happened in galveston oh wow! but they okay. were yeah like so it was wrong. it was bad yeah. it was really really bad <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. The moral of that story is a big, massive, catastrophic dam failure is going to be bad. Yeah. I remember I used to go to Lake Powell with my family and we would stop at the dam on our way out. Mm-hmm. And that's a, I mean, that's a big ass concrete, yeah. solid dam. And I remember like every time we would go, I would stand on top of it and I was like, I am uneasy. Like, oh, yeah. I don't, I don't like being on top of this. Yeah, no, I've been to that dam too. And, um, also the Hoover dam, mm-hmm. like there's something when you're standing on it, you just feel the weight of the water behind you and it's creepy to look like one direction. And there's this lake that's coming up to, I don't know, 10 feet below. And then you look the other way and it's just a fucking canyon. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I hate it. Yeah. Dams, dam. Honestly, dams creep me out. Honestly, yeah. I'm anti-dam. <laughs> <laughs> anti-dam. Well, for good reason. It sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. I'm taking a stand, and I'm dams. I'm gonna boldly say I'm coming down anti-dam. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's uh, the weirdest thing. Uh, infrastructure week. So yeah, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for the Weirdest Thing podcast. Mm-hmm. If you have any like crazy stories you want us to tell or look into, uh, send us a message. We'll check it out. Yep. And uh, yeah, tune in. I guess next time. Yep. Uh, the Weirdest Thing. Yay! Right. Bye. Bye. So listen. For-
friends will blow your mind with the finest nonsense we could find. Might be true, and that's the weirdest thing. 